Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Oh my God, it's coming! The thing is the well. This is Comics Catch Up. Where we read comics suggested by you the listeners of War Rocket Ajax, that we have missed. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. In fact, I haven't seen you for a while, so I'm glad you're here to Comics Catch Up.
My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. This is the show where we read comics that we might have missed out on, uh, whether it was recently or or 30 years ago. Yeah, and on this episode, we actually have an example of each. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's almost like I planned that when I uh, gave that setup. <laughs> it's almost like this ain't my first fucking rodeo, bud. That's right. Uh, consummate professionals over here. I've decided this is the year that we just I get real hostile to you for no reason. Yeah, I, w- I was not insinuating anything. <laughs> I was letting the audience know that, yes, we're reading two stories on Ken. As always, Matt Wilson thinks he's fucking better than me. <laughs> uh, we are reading two stories on Comics Catch-Up this time around. Now, if you're a regular listener to this show and our regular weekly Warrock and Ajax show, you might have heard us mention that we were considering reading the Jack Kirby comic, Captain Victory. But Chris made the suggestion that we actually save that one until Jack Kirby's birthday, which would be in August. So that's what we're going to do. Because Chris absolutely doesn't want to read Jack Kirby's Eternals. (laughs) Yeah. I've made my peace with that one on a few occasions, so... So what we're going to do is we're going to save Captain Victory and the Galactic... What is it? Galactic Rangers. Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers until August. And this time, here in March, we're going to be reading two books that were suggested on our last Every Story Ever special that caught our attention. One is the... N.D. Stevenson Boba Fett fan comic, This Place Was Home, which we have now reached the point where we're reading Boba Fett fan comics on the show. Yes, but like I said when this was brought up on the show, there's not a lot that could make me want to sit down and read a lengthy Boba Fett fan comic. Other than adding the phrase by Andy Stevenson at the end of it. Yeah. That's the more recent uh, story that we're going to be ranking on this catch-up. We're also going to be talking about the comic from 30 years ago that Chris mentioned, which is the Legend of the Chaos God story that ran throughout the Disney Adventures magazine, I believe, almost exactly 30 years ago. Uh, It has been reprinted uh, in, I think it was one of the Fantagraphics books uh, that reprinted a bunch of like Disney Adventures stuff. 1994, so 29 years ago is when these were originally published. And uh, yeah, those are the two we're going to cover. They're both relatively short, so hopefully we can get through them with some speed. Uh, Chris, how about we start with the Boba Fett comic, which jumps back and forth between two time periods throughout. Uh, One is the time period of the 
more recent Book of Boba Fett Disney Plus TV show because in it, in those parts, Boba Fett uh, is maskless and he has his little cane slash club. I don't know what that thing is called. Isn't that, that is a, um, God, this makes me want to die. Isn't that like called like a ga- gaffy stick? Because it's like what the what the Tuscan Raiders use. It is what the Tuscan Raiders use. Because one of the big revelations of that Gatterfy. Gatterfy okay. stick. Gatterfy stick. Or Gaffy stick, according to fucking Wikipedia or Wikipedia. I knew it. God almighty, I knew it. In the Book of Boba Fett Disney Plus series. Boba Fett spends a long time after he crawls out of the Sarlacc pit with the Tusken Raiders. Mm -hmm. And so that's how he ends up with the, as you say, gaffy stick. And he had, don't say as you say, that's what you said. You knew it. I didn't, (laughs) you don't have to, Mm, but you (laughs) Don't don't you put that evil on me. Okay. As it's called. That's what that's as 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 George Lucas called it. As it's called a gaffy stick. That you know it's from that time period because he has that and he's talking to Finnick Shan, who has become his right hand, his assistant, his cohort, whatever you however you want to put it. You know, Boba Fett and Fennec Shand are a team by the time period of the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, so th- there are parts set then where Boba Fett is telling this story from the past. And there are parts set just before Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones that do a lot to flesh out the relationship between... Boba Fett, his father Jango Fett, and a character that I had to go look up because I forgot all about her, Zam Wessel, who okay. was the assassin who tried to kill I think at the time she was princess, still Princess Amidala at the beginning of Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones. I'm going to say this straight up, Chris. I read this Indy Stevenson story before I went back and reminded myself of the context. And I like it more without the context. Okay, what... What context... Like, like you like it more without having to remember the events of Star Wars Episode Two Because that's... You could say that about literally anything. That is correct, yes. Okay. Here's a thing that I know. I never gave a second thought to the character of Zam Wessel. And that is how I know that I am, in fact, a cishet man. (laughs) Yeah. Because Zam Wessel is very important and beloved to a demographic with which I am very familiar, 
but not a part of, and that is 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 people for whom the word cishet does not apply. Yeah, yeah. So Zam, for those listening that don't know or don't remember, for the straights out there, yeah, for the straights out there, or the people who just have forgotten a lot of Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, like I did. Zam is the assassin that Jango Fett hires to kill Padme Amidala at the beginning of that movie. Uh huh. Zam gets caught in the act of doing that and actually attempts to kill a different person altogether, like a stand in for Padme, and tries to escape. There's a big chase. Kind of weird that, uh, that. Padme Amidala. Padme? Padme? Podcast? I think it's said both ways in the movies. Padme and Padme. It's kind of weird that she basically has, like, the same... Like, she follows the same tactics as Saddam Hussein. Decoys, yeah. Yeah, yeah lots of decoys. Not the, the spider... Spider box. Whatever they called it. But, like, you know. We all watched Arrested Development in the mid-2000s. Oh, I okay. Padme was or Amidala, Queen Amidala, Princess Amidala. She was a senator by that point in the story. Right. She so, had been. This is the dumbest thing that ever happened in Star Wars, and that's saying a lot. The people of Naboo elected a queen to serve like a a presidential ish term. At the age of 15, which, again, as someone who, as a devoted follower of uh, our dear lady, uh, Princess Serenity of the Moon, uh, I support this. But then after being queen of the planet, elected, when her term ran out, she then pursued as an adult a career in politics by becoming a senator. Yes, so by this point in the story, she is a senator. There's a big chase through the streets, or through the skyways, of uh, Coruscant, and where you know Obi-Wan and Anakin are chasing after Zam. They finally catch up to Zam, they're interrogating her, and before Zam can spill the beans, Jango... Presumably, kills her by shooting her in the neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Zam says some curses in Hutties while she dies. She also transforms into her natural form because part of why Zam has become such a important character to a certain subsect of Star Wars fans is because. She's a shapeshifter. She can change her form. While she's trying to assassinate Padme, she is in the form of a human woman. But once Django shoots her in the neck, she reverts back to her her natural form because she's a Claudite, is what she is. So that's basically all of Zam in canon Star Wars. Yeah, there's so little. There's, like, nothing. There is more in the extended universe. I mean, of course. There's some, there's yeah. some 
comic stories with Sam and stuff like that. But this Indy Stevenson story makes Zam way more important and also states that the death that we see, that we saw in Star Wars 2 Attack of the Clones, is not her actual death. Yeah. Um, in the same way that, like, there's honestly very little Boba Fett in Star Wars, like, in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, like... Until very recently, yeah. Yeah, he, Boba Fett says nothing and then is eaten by a worm. Like, Bo- Boba Fett has one line in Empire Strikes Back. Does he? Yeah. Oh, he's just like, but what if he doesn't survive? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, in the same way that, that Boba Fett is nothing, Sam Wessel is also nothing. But in the same way that Boba like, people saw Boba Fett and were like, well, that guy's pretty cool. People saw Sam Wessel and were like, well, she's pretty cool. And from what I just anecdotally, as someone who has uh, a lot of trans and non-binary friends, people like Sam Wessel. And no one, I think, was more of a devoted fan than Indy Stevenson. And you know what? Indy Stevenson does Sam Wessel so many favors in this story. Makes Sam Wessel so endearing and when you read this story, you can't help but come away from it loving Zam. Yeah. Uh, no, Zam is great in this and like super entertaining. Also, Django Fett is great in this and super entertaining. Also, Little Boba Fett is great in this and is super entertaining. And this is a fan comic by a, you know, very well-known uh, high profile creator, but it is still a fan comic and it should be canon. Like, all of this should be a million percent canon. I mean, it's almost too fun to be canon. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, part, part of it is, like, Zam is cussing. Like, like they, one of the they gags... They smoke weed at, at one point. Yeah, one of the gags in here throughout is that, like, Zam is trying to be a good caretaker for Boba, but like Zam gets like kind of unintentionally pulled into the role of caretaker for Boba when Django can't be around or, you know, just like Django and Zam aren't really in a relationship, but they have, but they're close. They're very close friends. So Zam becomes this sort of like secondary caretaker for Boba and Zam isn't especially great at it because she's constantly letting cusses slip out. She's she's pulling like gags that maybe aren't appropriate for a smart small child, like pretending to have lost a limb <laughs> and and being high at one point. Yeah, uh, it's you know, it's it's endearing because you can tell Zam really likes Boba and wants to do right by little Boba, but also isn't used to being around kids. And and is more used to this life of, you know, space mercenary life. Space assassin life. It, it, it is a standard issue 
wacky found family story, right? For sure, yeah. But in a way that is kind of undeniably Star Warsy as well, and and doesn't just it's it doesn't just kind of like take the characters into like an AU story, right? There's stuff in here about Boba being a clone and why Django wanted a clone that we don't really get much of in the movie. And there's an encounter with one of the clones who maybe is then killed for being defective. Like it's, it's, it's very star Warsy. It, it, goes with what exists in in the canon and is very additive to it uh, in a way that I, I find very appealing as someone who wants to like Star Wars often. Like, even when Star Wars makes it difficult for me, I do want to like it because I know what a fucking gaffy stick is <laughs> and I'll never get that part of my brain back. <laughs> I want it to be worth something. Thank you, Andor. Uh, well, t- you can tell that Indy Stevenson is really trying to make it fit, right? Yeah. Because this doesn't just say, Zam is alive. I don't care how, but Zam is alive. It comes up with an explanation for Sam to be alive. Yeah. And because Jenna, too. Which, the Django being alive at the end makes so much sense that it's it's one of those things where, okay, uh, I remember being a kid. I've told this story before, but I had a, like a trading card of Boba Fett, right? No, and wait, wait, wait. Django's not alive at the end. Yeah, he is. Boba's alive. No, Django's alive. They're all alive. I don't they, think Django's they, alive at the end. Django sends a clone, and that's who to uh, uh, Genosis, and that's who gets his head cut off by uh, by Samuel Jackson. Huh. Okay. Well, Django doesn't appear in the scene. No, doesn't appear in the in the scene. But I like I believe we are meant to assume that if Django is not alive at the end of this, Django survives that, and and gets to like. You know, that's okay. That's a little unclear because Zam and Boba, Zam and Boba in the future or in the present, as you would call it, whatever, whatever you want to call it, talk about Django as if he's dead. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know if Django's alive or not. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. It's, well, it like the. Uh, the clone, like the defective clone scene, it's kind of stated, like it, it's brought up in that scene where he's like, okay, yeah, that clone, we the memory implant was successful. He thinks he's me. Uh, he's going to go uh, off to fucking Genosis. Genosis yeah. f- for the scene where in the gladiatorial arena that we have where Kit Fisto shows up and is just all smiles. He loves to have fun. Yeah, that's there. Yeah, there it is. The Kaminoans assure me that the memory implantation process was a success. The decoys will think they're us. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if if he doesn't like, if he's not alive at the end, he at least survives longer than his canon death. Which you know, much like Boba Fett, 
Lafette gets fucking eaten by a worm. And then everybody's like, no, nah, I don't think so. That doesn't seem right. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, in, the book of, in the book of Boba Fett, he literally just crawled out. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, I had a Boba Fett trading card. And, you know, it was one of those things. And it said, nothing is known about this mysterious bounty hunter. Uh, except that you know, he's one of the most feared bounty hunters, but he's very mysterious. We only know that he first appeared during the Clone Wars and has a, for some reason, has a grudge against Han Solo. And I read that, and at like six or whatever, I was like, oh, he's a clone of Han Solo. Got it. And that was just in my head for my entire childhood un- until it was revealed that he was actually a clone of another guy. <laughs> yeah, and all the clones were of the same guy. Yeah. Which is much the, the least interesting way to have a clone war. But don't get yeah. me started. Don't get me yeah, started. Yeah. yeah. Cl- clone Wars was just a cool thing somebody said in those movies. I mean, I mean, somebody, Carrie Fisher, said it. George Lucas wrote it, presumably. But All right, for real, though. If you're going to have a clone war, don't you want people having fights with clones of themselves? Yeah, don't you, like... Don't fucking clone Yoda. Fuck, fuck off. Why don't clone they... war is clone war is just all clones of one guy. There's a bunch of motherfuckers with superpowers, and none of them get cloned. Instead, they clone a, a guy who's like pretty good with guns. Like they could have cloned, they could have cloned Samuel. They could have cloned my boy Kit Fisto. Yeah. Could have cloned Mace Windu. What I the fuck, know, guys? The explanation of okay. So Jango Fett's status is kind of unclear, although I think, yes, it is highly insinuated that he lives beyond his his canon death, for sure. But Zam, the explanation of Zam's survival, I think is really great, which is the thing that she got shot with in the neck was not lethal. It just made her appear to be... Uh, dead because she's cold blooded, which gets explained earlier in the comic. And so it says, it, uh, it, even a Jedi couldn't tell the difference between life and death. I'm a changeling. We're pretty good at that kind of thing. So she explains that, and that, like, uh, the last thing she said in Huddies was, it was just a job. So then she can surprise Boba, like, fucking 40 years later, and show up in the guise of Finnick to be like, yep, I've been alive this whole time. Uh, it's, it's fucking good. It's easily. I could say this, not having read most of the Extended Universe stuff, it's easily the best thing with the character of Zam, Zam Wessel in it. I have a hard time imagining a better Zam Wessel story than this. Yeah. Oh, what I was saying, what I was saying, just real quick. This cool guy is introduced and then has one fight with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then the, the basically third time we see him, he just dies immediately. But also, you have a bunch of dudes who look exactly like him. That makes so much sense to be like, yeah, he didn't really die. That makes so much sense. 
that you know Stevenson was sitting in the theater going, right, so that's a clone. Because they wouldn't, like, it doesn't make sense to just kill that guy off. Or or at, le- at the very least, Indy Stevenson later had the thought of, what if that Jango Fett who died was a clone? Because I can't imagine sitting in the theater watching Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones and thinking anything other than, what was, why does why does he hate sand so much? I, I think he's pretty clear with why he hates sand, Matt. It gets everywhere. Not comfortable. It's, it's rough, it's coarse, and it gets everywhere. Yeah, look, he tell me we all we all made fun of that, but tell me this: is he fucking wrong? I mean, it's not what he says; it's how he says it. <laughs> That's the problem. I mean, that's so much of that movie. It's like, it's like, why did Natalie Portman sit up like that? That got changed in the DVD release. There's a part of Attack, Attack of the Clones where like Padme is knocked out, and like I forget who walks over and tries to like wake her up, and she just sits up like a bolt in the theatrical release of that movie. And I swear, in the DVD release, they used a different take. Where she, like, takes up a little more time to sit up. Wow. Wow. Yeah, this is undoubtedly the best thing with Zam Wessel in it. It might be the best thing with Django Fett in it. It might be the best thing with Finnick Shand in it. I wouldn't know. It's pretty close to the best thing with Boba Fett. That probably true, but again, I have not watched uh, Bofa, Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, it's my acronym for it, Bofa. Bofa. Hey, you seen Bofa? (laughs) Why is that always so fucking funny to me? (laughs) Just is, just is, just is. Uh, All right, so this this story's good. This uh, I. In terms of craft, it's very much a sketched art, black and white webcomic sort of presentation. But even with that in mind, the attention to detail is very good. Like, the flashbacks and the present day segments are colored differently. They're both monochrome, but... The present day segments are kind of like a red tint, and the flashback segments are kind of a gray tint. It's 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 just really well done. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I literally could not say anything else about it. So it's, it's really good. So uh, I read it the night that we, uh, like the night that we were talking about it on the show. Uh, I read it, and then I went uh, into the bedroom. Uh, and it took me longer than I thought because it's also like, it's a, it's a piece of comics. Yeah, I mean, I I realized as I was looking at it that we couldn't read it on the special. Yeah, because uh, it is it, it is p- pretty lengthy to be like a single web comic story. Yeah, but, you know, it's that infinite canvas. Uh, you know, when Scott McCloud invented web comics, <laughs> this is what he envisioned. He was like, one day we're going to get some really We'll use this new medium and the infinite canvas to tell stories about underserved Star Wars characters. And his dream came true. 
And his, dream, his dreams really do come true, man. Were you going to say something else, or should we go ahead and rank this? Uh, do Do we want to rank it now, or do we want to rank them both at the end? Yeah, okay. Let's rank them both at the end. Let's let's talk for a bit about Legend of the Cat. Uh, I, I went into the I went into the bedroom, and I was like, "Hey, have you read any Stevenson's uh, Boba Fett fan comic?" And my wife went, "Yeah." <laughs> wow, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. Yeah, AC was on the train, man. I think it's one of those things that got shared around a lot at a time when I was not looking at Twitter very much. Yeah, and again, maybe shared among communities that uh, my beloved wife is a part of, but that I am not. Well, it was also published on February 17th, 2022, a time when I was not looking at Twitter, like, at all. So, uh, yeah, probably a mix of those two things. Yeah. Let's talk about Legend of the Chaos God for a little while. Legend of the Chaos God is by Bobby J.G. Weiss, written by, and illustrated by Cosme Quartieri. And while I do think it is a pretty good story, I'm just going to say up front, it does not quite live up to the promise of a story that's called Legend of the Chaos God. Yeah, it's it's disappointing, but how could it not be? That that title has a lot to live up to. And it's pretty good. It's it's not what you hope to get from a story called Legend of the Chaos God. You want to just spin through the story real quick, like what happens? Like tailspin my way through the story? Yeah, I'm going to sing a little bit of each show's theme song as we go through them. Okay. So yeah, part one, it's a five-part story. Part one is Tailspin. Oh, yeah. So, Tailspin... Can we just talk for a second about how buck-fucking-wild the premise of Tailspin is? Tailspin is a cartoon where the bear, Baloo, from the Jungle Book... Yeah. ...flies a seaplane... Uh huh. In the forties. Well, but it's not okay. Here's what's here's the you and I had a conversation about this already. Tailspin is clearly set in like a South Pacific forties fifties men's adventure story mercenary setting. Except that also there is a modern city and a 90s kid. And it's, according to later in the story, 30 years ago in the, in the 90s. <laughs> so the 60s? I think, I, they say, I think they say 50 years ago. I'm almost, maybe. I was almost positive they said 30 years ago. Now I have to check and make sure. I'm pretty sure it does say 50 years ago. Well, the the young young professor, what's his name, does not seem like he is an old seventy, sixty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. It's such a nit. Like, first of all, it's such a fucking insane premise because it's the Jungle Book characters as air pirates. It's and, okay. Like, it is. It is. It is stated to have been fifty years ago. Okay. Okay. Wild. So it is the 40s. Yeah. Tailspin is in the 40s. 
fucking Rebecca is is Kirstie Alley. She's Kirstie Alley in Cheers. That's exactly what she is. She's a go go getter businesswoman. Yeah, she is dressed like Kirstie Alley in Cheers, and it has the haircut as well. Yeah, and like I don't know, man. I do not know. Tailspin is wild. When I was a kid and I used to watch it, I didn't have any conception that it was set in the 1940s. I just thought this bear was flying a plane around. But, like, the stuff in the city is all, like, art deco and shit. Yeah. Uh, this is... This is... uh. This is in Wikipedia. Initially, Disney simply commissioned uh, Megan and Zaslov with creating a 30-minute animated program for them with no requirements as to what the show should be about. Nearing the deadline for a pitch without having come up with anything, <laughs> Megan hit the idea of uh, making the story about Baloo, uh, which, one of the central characters of Disney's Jungle Book, which had recently been theatrically re-released. That's it. But... He's Baloo from the Jungle Book in name only. Yeah. This this motherfucker wears a hat. This motherfucker has clothes on and can fly a plane. <laughs> yeah. Baloo's a bear in, like, India. <laughs> yeah. like, like, in, like, there's humans in that world. Like, Baloo is both Goofy and Pluto. Because he's an animal animal, and he's a humanoid animal. We need, like, the Hulk number one cover. Is he is he Goofy or Pluto or both? <laughs> he's both. He's both. So, here's what happens in the first part, which is called Crystal Chaos. Blue, Kit, who is the 90s kid, and Molly, who is Rebecca's daughter... They're flying to on a delivery run to bring supplies to an island called Reckonrune to a professor. Good job. Uh, to a professor named Simon Potsherd. Because Simon Potsherd is one of those explorers from the 1940s who just raids ancient cultures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who just, in his defense, Reckonrune was destroyed. Right. So he's he's gathered up all these artifacts from Rackenrune, uh in the Temple of Dumming Loom uh, to bring them back for a display in a museum. They are attacked, Baloo and Kit and Molly are attacked by air pirates led by Don Carnage. Carnage. Yeah, Don Carnage. That's right, Don Carnage. Uh, who wants to steal the artifacts, so they have to do some fancy flying to avoid the sky pirates, the air pirates. And in the process of the fancy flying, they knock over a barrel that has inside of it a gemstone, a red gemstone, and a gold setting. And they both fall into the water. Through a series of events... Rebecca, who is mad at Baloo for putting her daughter in danger, potentially, uh, goes and checks on the supplies. 
she finds the ruby, the, the jewel in the water. She picks it up, and she's immediately overtaken by Soligo, the Chaos God, who takes over her body. Clearly, something is wrong with Rebecca. Uh, she's, like, yelling at her kid and saying mean stuff. But when she finally threatens her own daughter, or Soligo threatens her daughter, uh, that's when Rebecca's like, no, I can't. I can't allow you to do that. Uh, they're flying in the sea duck at this point. By by the way, she's like, I can't allow you to do that, which leads to a whole aerial battle scene over the city, where Kit does some shit I don't even understand. Okay, that's like okay. So With like an air glider thing. I remember he had that in the show, but yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah, um, he's got this little like metal fan that he, that he like can surf in the air. Like it, like in, uh, like in Batman forever. Remember when Batman and, and Robin surfed down from when two face was trying to steal that bank vault and fill it with boiling acid. I do. I, that was just a thing in the nineties. People surfing yeah, on people the- thought you could just like, Hang glide on basically a metal croissant. That is not true. No. Don't try that. Uh, but yeah, like that was kind of like his deal, which I always thought was cool as a kid, because I used to watch uh, Tailspin as a kid. I like Tailspin. I still think like air pirates and those uh, GB looking ass planes are are really cool as hell. And the like I still like that aesthetic of like kind of forties adventure that literally in the way that like your detective thing comes from, what is it? A show about a dog show city. About a dog, yeah. dog city. Uh, a show I've never heard of outside of, of you talking to me about it. It's on YouTube. You can go watch it. By the way, um, side note to the side note. Um, I have the, the only time I have ever heard your accent come out harder than when you just said fancy flan <laughs> was when you asked me for an, an eclair that one yeah. time. And you yeah, are, yeah. I, be- I believe, stone cold sober at the moment. I am. I am, in fact. But if I'm talking about fancy flying. Fancy flying. Fancy flying. I liked it. I liked it, Matt. I think I, my accent is getting thicker as I get older, and I think you should really lean in. Okay. <laughs> I'll think about it. Uh, anyway, like, even as a kid, I was like, but that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, the, like, why? How can he surf on nothing? It's nonsense, yeah. Um, anyway, long story short, Molly resists the power of Saligo, the Chaos God, which is not saying much for Saligo, the Chaos God. And once she resists it. Did you say it, Rebecca? Did you say Rebecca? Did I say Molly? I meant Rebecca. I think you might have said Molly. Molly's her daughter. I meant Rebecca. I don't remember her having a daughter either. Molly actually attacks Rebecca, or like tackles her, and knocks the gem out of her grasp, allowing her to resist the power of Saligo, the Chaos God, which leads Baloo to determine that this crystal, this gem, is too powerful for anyone to touch, including the professor. And so he just throws the gym and its setting out into the ocean. 
where it stays, presumably, for 50 years. Yeah, I do kind of love that the, their solution to this whole thing is, I don't know, just fucking throw it in the ocean. Yep, that's what they do. And it does stay in the ocean for 50 years until part two, to half and half not, a Ch-ch-ch-ch-bandale story in which some fishermen fish the gem and the setting out of the water and it is then brought to the Wreck and Rune exhibit at the museum where Chip and Dale and Monterey Jack and Gadget just happen to be because they know that uh, Fat Cat is going to be showing up at the museum to steal some stuff, and they want to stop him. Here's my first problem with this. We miss a chapter. And we miss a chapter because of how the story is laid out, where it's like one thing for each of the Disney Afternoon shows. Yeah. Because between Tailspin and Chip and Dale, we, like... It is stated later on in the story that Scrooge McDuck, famous adventurer, recovered this artifact. And that's, that's right. That's the story I'd like to know about. That's right. So I kept talking about the crystal and the setting. It was just the crystal mm-hmm. that Rebecca fished out of the water in the first part. The setting was still under the water back at the island. And so the thing we don't see is Scrooge found the setting. I think so he it's, finds both. He just keeps no, he, the The fishermen find the crystal that Baloo threw out into the ocean. Oh, right, 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 right. The fishermen, I forgot. Yeah. But Scrooge found the setting back at the island. But yes, we don't see that on panel. That's just stated. That would have been cool to see. That part of the story. Yeah. That's my first problem with the story. There could be more to it. Yeah. You know what this reminds me of, structurally? What's that? The Walt Simonson story, The Judas Coin. Uh-huh. Which was done as an original graphic novel, where uh, it just follows like one of the 30 pieces of silver as it goes through the history of the DC Universe and kind of like, you know, climaxes in a Batman story. But like, there's a bunch of other stuff in there as well. Like at one point, uh, like y- you have to turn the book sideways because he's doing like a newspaper strip uh, style thing. It's it's really good. Uh, if you haven't read it, like it's for anybody else, it would be like one of their best comics. But I mean, it's Walt Simonson, so it's pr- it's like you know, it's like like an like an A without a plus, I guess. But re- you should read the Judas Coin. It's really good. Structurally, it's kind of similar to that, but it's not as good or as compelling. <laughs> Or is right, we gotta, let's burn through the rest of this story. Okay. We're, we're getting off on a lot of asides here. Let's burn through the story. Fat Cat shows up. He wants to steal his stuff. We find out that if the setting and the jewel get reunited together, then the Chaos God will get his corporeal body back and be back in full force. The gym at one point takes over Gadget's body. So she's overtaken by him for a bit. 
but then she gets squirted with ink from a pen, <laughs> which makes him release his hold on her. Then Fat Cat gets taken over for a while. Or no, he takes over Dale. Saligo takes over Dale, and Dale's like threatening Fat Cat, like, give me the setting. I need it. Fat Cat eventually does get possessed, but he gets struck by like static electricity from a static electricity generator that's in the museum. A Van der Graaff generator. Yeah, yes. And he uh, drops both the setting and the crystal. Chip and Dale retrieve it, and they take it back to their headquarters without touching it, either one. And they give them to the crows, Edgar and Alan, and say, get rid of these. So the crows go flying off to take the, the gym and the setting away. Part three. I don't, I don't know the theme song to Goof Troop. It's like, I think it's like, Goof Troop. <laughs> I'm pretty I sure think it, I got that I, right. I think it was like a, I think it was like a rap. I think it was like a rap song. Now I got to look up the theme song to Goof Troop because I will say of all the Disney afternoon shows, Goof Troop was the one I was least interested in. I'll fuck with Goof Troop. I fully do not fuck with Goof Troop. Goof Troop is a show that makes you imagine Goofy having sex. <laughs> and Pete. It was and like like a hip hop song. Yeah, doesn't it go like Goof Troop? Like the hook? Yeah, it's like report to the Goof Troop. So there you go. You gotta report to the Goof Troop? You gotta report to the Goof Troop. Also, like Goofy's like a fucking widower? That's fucked up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Part three. Spookus ex machina. Also, why is Pete's wife hot? Why can't Pete's wife be hot? I mean, I, I mean she can, I guess, but, like, I don't know why... I, like, they, like, they clearly made Pete's wife hot. Okay. I don't think it's wrong for Pete's wife to be hot. I think it's weird that she's hot and demanding. <laughs> Man, that's the hottest thing a woman can be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, part three, the Goof Troop part, the part of this story that fits the worst. The crows, they, they're they like, oh, these these bags, these burlap sacks with the Jim and the setting are getting too heavy. We got to drop them. So they do. And when they drop the, the crystal, it lands in the radiator of Pete's new car, which is a solid gold car <laughs> that he has purchased to impress his hot wife. He's, he, I, is, is he trying to impress her or is he trying to get her, is he, he's trying to impress her so that she won't be mad that he spent all of his money on this late model Cadillac made of solid gold with robot arms and shit. Yeah, I guess it's both things. Uh, but it, it seems like more than anything, he just wants to impress her. And this car is a bonkers car. Hey, uh, Matt, um, I just want you to know. Yeah. First of all, first of all, this show, this show presents a world in which Goofy's name is Goofer G Goof. Yeah, which is I fucking do that. bad. Um. Also, 
Pete's name is Peter Pete. That's that sucks. Uh, third of all, if you if you Google Peg Pete, because because you know Peg used to be Peg Leg Pete, so his wife mm. is Peg Pete. That's kind of a good joke. Um, you're gonna get a lot. You're gonna get a lot of cosplay. That is that I'm not following these links, but it definitely goes to OnlyFans. That is a very specific fetish. Yeah, it's nice to know that it's not just me who is like, why is is this weird dog lady so hot, though? So this car, it's like the Cybertruck before the Cybertruck, because it, like, washes itself and has a brain. It's a self-aware car. (laughs) Yeah. It also sucks and should be destroyed like the Cybertruck. Yeah. And uh, Pete shows this to his wife, and his wife is like, wow, this is a great car. Overnight, the Chaos God takes over the car, and it attacks Goofy. It also finds out by overhearing a news report that its setting, the setting for the crystal, has landed in Duckburg. And Goofy realizes that the car is sentient and being controlled by a malevolent force. Which leads to a sitcom-style thing where he and Pete try to exercise the car using garlic and various things. That that part is not bad, because it's... I do kind of like the idea that they've seen, like, monster movies of some kind, but do not have any of the context for any of it. So it's like... I don't know, it's an evil thing, so we need to put garlic and salt on it. And then drive a stake through the hood, which Goofy yeah. does. Yeah. Finally, Pete's like, I'm just going to drive this car away. Because the car is demanding to be taken to Duckburg. And the car drives itself off of a cliff, and Goofy and Pete only barely manage to escape before it falls off the cliff. And then the car is destroyed and is like, oh no, I'm destroyed now. I can't get to Duckburg. Wait, I have a phone inside of me. I can call a tow truck to tow me to Duckburg. So that's where that part ends. Yeah. Hey, fuck those crows, by the way. Those crows were just like, I'm tired. It doesn't, like, hey, get this as far away from anyone as you can. Okay, I'll drop it on a busy freeway in a city. Part four is tow for broke. Which is the DuckTales part. Woo! And wouldn't you know it, Pete's car has been towed all the way to Duckburg. From Spoonerville, which is where Goofy lived. I hate it. I fucking hate it. Fenton, also known as Gizmoduck, is calling Scrooge on the phone to be like, Hey, this car got towed here, and... They they said you asked for it to be towed here, and Scrooge is like the fuck I did. I did not. And Finn's like, well, I don't know what to do. The tow truck driver is asking for money, and f- <laughs> finally, Finn's like, hey, tow truck driver, could you just go stay in a hotel while we get this worked out? <laughs> Which he does. Then Fenton hears something inside the hood of the car calling for help. 
And so he opens the car hood and he is, he is then overtaken by Saligo, the chaos God. And he is transformed into Gizmo duck. So now the chaos God is in the form of Gizmo duck who uh, knows that the setting for the, the crystal is inside Scrooge's money bin because Scrooge mentioned that. Or no, it was on the news report that it was in Scrooge's money bin. Huey, Dewey, and Louis show up. They're like, hey, Gizmo Duck, what's up? And Gizmo Duck's like, fuck you. And goes right past them on the way to the money bin. Uh, he, he shows up at the money bin and starts searching it. The setting is not there, because as we will find out, Scrooge has sent it away to uh, St. Canard to be cleaned. Which is not typically what you would necessarily think would be an expense Scrooge would spring for. But I guess if it's like an ancient treasure, he'll spend a little money to make sure it's in good shape. He probably gets like a good deal. Simon Pottsherd's son, Bisk, shows up to explain to Scrooge what's going on. And Scrooge is like, well, damn, we got to get somebody to St. Canard to get that setting back so it doesn't all get connected and create the for the the corporeal body of the chaos god uh there's a whole like flashback sequence where we learn about a a wizard named Deshane who created this crystal to imprison Saligo and he split it in two, into the setting and the the gem, to and then he put it inside of a like a big clay tablet to keep those halves separated forever. But then Simon Potsard, the professor, took those pieces out to study them. Only and he says only magic can stop the chaos god. So. Scrooge basically just ends up saying, okay, Fenton, because Fenton has lost the influence of the Chaos God. I forget even how that happened. Um, but he says, Fenton, get to St. Canard as quick as you can. And that's where we leave that one. Mm-hmm. Part five, Rain and Thunder, which is the Dark Wing Duck chapter. Better watch out, you bad boys. As That's much as they, I always remember from that song. So I was, I was hoping you would do that part, but th- then I had to. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely remember that lyric. Uh, don't you, don't doubt it for a second. I definitely remember. Better watch out, you bad boys. Uh, so anyway, Darkwing Duck in Saint Canard gets a call from Shush, explaining, "Hey, I need you to go to a jeweler and pick up." a piece of jewelry that's there. And Darkwing Duck's like, that doesn't seem like a very important task. And the guy from Shush is like, well, it is. Do you remember what Shush stands for? I don't. Okay, now I gotta look it up. Yeah, I, I'm looking I'm looking it up right now. It is... Oh, the Disney wiki is not giving me the... Uh, the abbreviation, what the abbreviation stands for. It's an agency so secret that nobody knows what it stands for. Oh, okay. 
Uh, but that's that just means that just means nobody came up with it. Yeah, that is what that means. It's it's a parody of Shield, right? Like uh, it's Shield Uncle Control. Yeah, that's all yeah. that. Anyway, long story short, in this Dark Darkwing Duck story, the Jim, despite Darkwing Duck and Gizmo Duck's best efforts, the Jim and the setting get put together, and so we see the Chaos God at his full power, which is just making a bunch of shit fly around. That's what the Chaos God does. I mean, that is pretty chaotic. It yes, it is. It is. The basically the dictionary definition of chaos. There's a panel of hey, um, people freaking out as fruit and hardware comes out of store windows. Hey, um, uh, Google suggested uh, a search for Peg Pete Kingdom Hearts, which does uh-huh. not appear to actually exist. She, she, her status is unknown in the world of Kingdom Hearts, but I'm getting a lot of shots of like. Like Pete, like an old timey cartoon, like like a Oswald the Lucky Rabbit ass, like Steamboat Willie ass cartoon. I'm gonna send it to you real quick. Does Kingdom Hearts rule? Because that looks great. I mean, I think there is a Steamboat Willie world in Kingdom Hearts. That's great. If that's what you're into, then yeah, maybe maybe you're secretly really into Kingdom Hearts. Well, I think I think you you can tell what I'm into by the other picture that I sent you, Matt. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. Just for just for you and me. Just it's for Peg. You, it's Peg Pete. If you Google Peg Pete, you'll get there. I'm sure. Yep. You absolutely will. All right. So another thing that the Chaos God does is he makes the lions outside the art museum come to life. This this is the kind of stuff that the Chaos God is is doing. A lot of like Disney afternoon level violence, uh, like knocking fire hydrants out from their places on on the side of the road and stuff like that, and shooting vague lightning. Darkwing Duck eventually defeats the Chaos God by making him shoot into a satellite dish, and. The lightning he shoots comes back to him and turns him back into the gem and the setting for it. Because, as we'll discover, the wizard who defeated Saligo the Chaos God the first time used a polished shield to do it uh, in much the same way. Just like Link. It's a very link kind of move. It it's it's a a VL KOM for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a, a it's an RHOHM. <laughs> the real hero of Hyrule move. Yes. So this, ultimately, this not fucking established earlier in the story. Yeah, that's pretty wild. What happened? Which is a it's that's purely objectively bad storytelling. Finally, B- Bisk Potsherd puts the gem and the setting back in the stone that it was in originally, and the Chaos God is is trapped, retrapped. 
the the stone it the the final caption is thus ends the legend of the chaos god the jade safe was buried deep the jade block was placed in a safe and buried deep beneath the many treasures in the great money bin of Scrooge McDuck the safe was never to be opened never to be cataloged only to be lost and forgotten hopefully forever so that is the end of the legend of the chaos god all right chris time to rank these the Zam Wessel story, This Place Was Home, is extremely good. Super, super good. Extremely good, yes. So so give me a neighborhood of the list where you want to put it. I'm trying to recall where we have put any any like fan comics. Because I know we've done a couple. Uh, yeah. I, we did this. Brian North is on here pretty high. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man playing basketball is on here. But, I think but a it's good better than Spider-Man playing basketball. And I, I do, do like Spider-Man playing basketball a lot. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, Dumb Patrol on here. By Benito and Kyle. Dumb Patrol is pretty good. That's a, Both of those are in the 700s, which is shocking, because both of those are very good. Yeah. It's a top-heavy list. It's a top-heavy list, but I think this is better. I mean... I think it's probably better than than I think it's probably better than Afterlife with Archie Volume One, which is at four hundred. Okay. Uh, jumping up to three fifty just to see that's ooh, that's JLA Rock of Ages. That's pretty fucking good, actually. That's Dark Side is. That's where Dark Side is comes from. So it's between three fifty and four hundred. Okay. Is it better than Secret Wars twenty fifteen? Probably no, not. Absolutely not. Is it better than when Nancy gets alone to go to the circus? No, I'm thinking. I do think it's better than I killed giants, which is three seventy five. Uh, okay. Is it? What's Spider Man going straight by Roger Stern and John Romita Jr.? I think it is Amazing Spider Man two twenty six. That's a black cat story. That's pr- that's a pretty good Spider-Man comic, as I recall. Uh, let's see. Probably not as well. I mean, what about between Aztec, the Ultimate Man, one and through ten, and? Blue Beetle number one and two, the origin of Jaime Reyes. So you think this is better than the first all-star Batman story, the cursed wheel? Yes, but I don't think it's as good as the John Rogers, Andre DeVito, uh, uh, D and D comic. Okay. So this will be at the new number three sixty three, And it's called this place was home. And I'll put in parentheses N.D. Stevenson Boba Fett fan comic. That is a hell of a good ranking for a fan comic. Uh, yeah, Stevenson's really fucking good, y'all. Yeah. All right, now let's rank Legend of the Chaos God, which I think may have been damned by high expectations. The title's so good. Also, the title like, is so good. 
I texted you about this. I was like, hey, did Darkwing Duck suck? Like, as a person. Because <laughs> I remember, like, thinking he was cool as hell, because he's like, the Shadow meets Batman, but he's a duck. But, like, in that comic, he kind of, like, sucks real bad. Like, I know the show was an action comedy, but, like, did he suck? Is he a well, he bad just, superhero? He just kind of lucks into a solution, right? It's very Inspector Gadgety. Yeah. And I feel like that is true of a lot of Darkwing Duck stories. Well, he just he just kind of wins by blind luck. But I don't really remember all that well. I would really have to go back and watch the show to know for sure. We were talking about those stories in the 700s, like Dumb Patrol. I don't think this is that good. Yeah. Definitely not. No, uh, I'm thinking this. Is, I'm thinking this is a four-digit story. Yeah, which is a bummer because I wanted to like it so much, and I know people. I know people listening to this have nostalgic attachment to this. I mean, like that's not necessarily bad. Bad. It's not quite what you want it to be because it is five individual stories that never actually cross over. In the way that you want it to be. Like, you want it to be Darkwing Duck, Scrooge McDuck, Chippendale. Like, there needs there needs to be uh, Legend of the Chaos God Omega, right? There needs to be, like, <laughs> Legend of the Chaos God Alpha, which is where we get, like, Scrooge finding out about this story that sets up the whole reflective shield thing. And then there needs to be an Omega where, like, everybody comes together. There needs to, this needs to be structured like Seven Soldiers, is what it is. Except you can't put Tailspin in, because it takes place 50 years earlier. That's the one thing you can't do. All right, Chris, speaking of nostalgia comics, Pizza Hut X-Men 1 through 4 is at 1056. How does this rank against that? Uh, it's not as good. It's definitely not. Pizza Hut X-Men, come on. It's definitely not as good as that. Okay. It's How? better than Combo Man. Okay, Combo Man is at ten ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So we're looking between ten fifty six and ten ninety nine. Yeah, it's a real tax season episode over here. Um, <laughs> I think it's better than Omega the Unknown, but it's not as good as Weapon Brown, which is also kind of a fan comic. All right, so at the new number 1077 is Legend of the Chaos God. And I'll just put in parentheses, Disney Adventures, and we'll know what that is. And that's that. We have caught up on those two comics. One, extremely good. One that we really thought had a mega rad title that kind of didn't live up to the hype. (laughs) But was it bad? I mean, it wasn't. I'm not going to say it sucks because it doesn't suck. But it's called Legend of the Chaos God. Yeah, yeah. Come on, that's like you. You want him to be fighting like with fucking Warhammer shit, right? Do you want him covered in skulls? Yeah, you want him like at least putting Darkwing Duck on Scrooge McDuck's Darkwing Duck's head on Scrooge McDuck's body and vice versa. Yeah, I was. You gonna, want him? To you want him like crucifying Launchpad? Like they did with with 
Angel in the Mutant Massacre, the Fall of Mutants. You want you want Launchpad to be crucified on a symbol. King, is this symbolic? Love it. Love it. All right, folks. That's catch-up for this month, for March. We hope you enjoyed it. If you heard some dogs and cats, that's just how it go. If you want to support this show, as well as the weekly War Rocket Ajax show, as well as Every Story Ever, as well as Movie Fighters and Snack Situation, then you can head over to patreon.com slash warrocketajax and kick in as little as $1 per month to make sure that uh, we make all those shows and you can get all of those shows completely ad-free. You can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com if you have a catch-up suggestion or if you want to sponsor the show. That's the place to do that. We're on Twitter at WarRocketPod. We're on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. And we have a Discord that you have to be invited to be a part of, so ask us for an invitation, and uh, we'll get you on to the Discord. WarRocketAjax.com is our website. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. WarRocketWiki.com is the fan-run information source for all kinds of stuff about WarRocketAjax. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at MattDWilson.net. It's where you can find links to my books, my comics, my podcasts, and my social medias, and my upcoming Zoop Comics crowdfunding project, Imposter Syndicate. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website, and there's links to everything I do. See you next month, everybody. We'll catch up on something else. We sure will. Until then, everybody. Get catching up. (laughs) 